Luckily, many of us are not aware of how many horrific things happen around us every day until we see reports of these incidents in the news or posted on social media. Some of these stories are both tragic and horrifying in equal measure and are dismissed as urban legend. But there are some real life instances where fact is stranger than fiction and these five shocking cases will haunt you for a while. From a spider infestation to being baked alive, here are five disturbing and creepy real-life horror stories that even the darkest of imaginations could not conjure up. Jazara Thompson On the night of November 16th, 2015, Raquel Thompson went to pick up her boyfriend, Cornell Malone, from work. She left her four children alone in the Houston apartment complex where they lived. The children were all under the age of five, with the youngest child, Jazara, being just 19 months old. On their return 30 minutes later, Thompson and Malone found that the children were still asleep in their beds. At around 10pm, they decided to go out again and leave the children unattended, despite the fact that their grandmother lived in the same complex and could have watched them. The couple went to Domino's Pizza, picked up a prescription from a Walgreens pharmacy, and spent some time with Thompson's brother before returning to the apartment at around midnight. They were met by a horrific sight. Jazara was lying on the kitchen floor next to the oven. She was suffering from severe burns. Thompson immediately called the paramedics and began to try and resuscitate her youngest daughter, but it was too late. Jazara died at the scene. After speaking to the other children, police were able to determine that for an unknown reason, the eldest child had decided to put Jazara in the oven, while another turned it on to full. The three-year-old involved told Child Protective Services that they had put Jazara in the oven and made it hot. Thompson was seven months pregnant at the time and also had an older child who lived with their father. The family were known to Child Protection Services, although it was not deemed necessary to remove the child before the incident. On the morning of the tragedy, Thompson's ex-boyfriend, Frederick Price, came looking for his children. He claimed to be the father to at least two of them and had not seen them in months because he did not know where they were. He had been trying to find Raquel and only found out where she was living when he saw it on the news. Price was unsure whether Jazara was his daughter or not because he had never taken a paternity test, although he did say that she was a cute baby. Despite the involvement of Price and Thompson's mother, the other three children were placed in foster care as it was decided that none of their relatives were suitable to take care of them. Both Thompson and Malone were charged with four counts of child endangerment. Later, Thompson was given a 12-year sentence for abandoning a child under the age of 15. Corazon Atinza Richard Speck was born in Kirkwood, Illinois. He was the seventh of eight children. Speck's family was extremely religious, and his father died when he was just six years old. His mother remarried, and the family relocated to Dallas, Texas. His new stepfather was an alcoholic who mentally abused Speck with threats and insults. Speck began drinking at just 12, and by the age of 15, he too was an alcoholic. He was first arrested at the age of 15 for trespassing, followed by several arrests throughout his teenage years for other misdemeanors. By July of 1966, Richard Speck was now 21 years old and had a criminal record for forgery, burglary, and aggravated assault but for one reason or another, he always seemed to evade a lengthy sentence. In April of that year, he stayed in Monmouth, Illinois with friends. 
There, he tied up and raped Virgil Harris, a 65-year-old woman at knife point, after breaking into her house. He was only able to steal a few dollars that she had earned from babysitting that night. A week later, he murdered Mary Pierce, a 32-year-old barmaid, when he hit her so hard in the stomach that she ruptured her liver. He was questioned about the incident by police and told not to leave town, but fled to his sister's apartment in Chicago. After three months, it was agreed that he would leave, and he moved to a rooming house. On the night of July 13th, he sexually assaulted 53-year-old Ella May Hooper in his room before going to a townhouse in the Jeffrey Manor neighborhood at 11 p.m. The house served as a dormitory for eight student nurses who worked at the South Chicago Communal Hospital. Wondering who could be knocking on the door so late, 23-year-old Corazon, or Cora, as she was known to her friends, went to answer it. She found a tall young man standing there. He was dressed all in black, had a pock-marked face, and his hair was greasy and slicked back. The man smelled strongly of drink, and he pushed his way past Cora and into the house. With the threat of a knife and the gun stolen from Ella May, Speck herded all of the women together into one room. He promised that he would not hurt them, and said he just needed money to get to New Orleans. Speck then proceeded to systematically remove each nurse from the room before sexually assaulting them and stabbing and strangling them one by one. All of the women were killed that night and were aged between just 20 and 24 years old. Unbeknown to Speck, there was another girl at the house that night. Although he had pushed past her at the door, Speck failed to notice that Cora was missing from the room. She had crawled under one of the beds and hidden there whilst the horror was taking place. Too afraid to move and barely daring to even breathe, Cora stayed in her hiding place until 6am, long after Speck had fled the scene. She then climbed out to the window ledge of the bedroom and began to scream for help. Three days later, Speck was taken to Cook County Hospital after he had tried to commit suicide. The doctor who treated him had just been on a break and had read a newspaper that showed a photograph of the killer. The doctor also recognized a tattoo that matched the newspaper's description. Although terrified, Cora was brave enough to walk over to Speck and identify him in court. She was kept under police protection for a year before the trial and learned to play poker with the police detectives that guarded her. Speck was found guilty of eight counts of murder and sentenced to death, although this was later commuted to a jail term of between 400 and 1,200 years. After the trial, Cora moved back to the Philippines where she married before returning to the US and working in Washington DC as a critical care nurse. She has two children and six grandchildren and appreciates every day that she is alive. Cora moved on with her life, and has tried to be happy every day. Cora wonders why she was spared, but believes there was somebody up there who was hiding her from Speck, stating that God was so nice. Although she will never forget her friend that died, or the horror of that night, she still has nightmares that he will come back and kill her, even though Speck died in prison from a heart attack in 1991. A truly tragic story. Barbara Foster. In February 2017, emergency services were called to an address in Lucas County, Ohio. When people walking past the house began to complain about the smell of excrement, firefighters had to wear hazmat suits before they could enter the house of Barbara Foster, who was 75. Although neighbors in the local area of Springfield Township said they looked out for one another, the man who had lived next door to Barbara for a decade admitted he had not seen her for years. He said he used to wave to her regularly, and she was known around town as a hoarder and recluse. 
a man from Barbara's local church had visited regularly, bringing food parcels for years. He said that he didn't even notice the stench anymore, because he had just become accustomed to it, although the emergency services said that the smell was overpowering. He noticed that Barbara was in low spirits and feeling unwell, so he called 911. The firefighters were shocked to find Barbara, who was 5 feet 5 and weighed 550 pounds, stuck in an armchair. She had been sitting there for months and was surrounded by a pile of her own feces and urine. Apparently, she had been unable to move for seven months. When the emergency services were unable to get her out of the chair, they noticed that her skin had become fused to it and had grown over the fabric. She had become molded to the armchair. Mrs. Foster had become so physically weak that her bones began to break as the emergency services tried to lift her from the chair. The house was condemned as being unfit for habitation because of the human waste found there. Barbara was taken to the University of Toledo Medical Center, but she later died. After a review of the case, the Lucas County Sheriff's Office decided that no crime had been committed, and the case was considered closed. Spider House, Missouri In October of 2007, Brian and Susan Trost found their dream home. Their new house overlooked the exclusive Whitmore Country Club golf course in Walden Springs, Missouri. With 2,400 square feet of space and four bedrooms, the house cost the couple $450,000. After moving in, Susan Trost noticed that there were a lot of spider webs in the property, especially around the light fittings and in the basement, but she decided that the house just needed a thorough clean. But it soon became apparent that the house was infested when the family began finding spiders everywhere hanging from ceilings and lights, and crawling up blinds and in fireplaces. One night when Susan was taking a shower, one even dropped from the ceiling, and just missed landing in her hair before it was swept down the drain. The spiders were literally seeping out of the wall cavities. The Tross caught one of the spiders, and after doing some research on the net, they realized that they were dealing with a brown recluse. These spiders are from the same species as the Black Widow, and use necrotic venom when biting their prey. Symptoms from a bite can be as mild as pain, swelling, and itching at the puncture site, as well as nausea. Organ failure or death has been reported in extreme cases. By 2012, the problem had gotten so bad that an expert from the University of Kansas estimated that the troughs were sharing their home with between 4,500 and 6,000 spiders, and that was just during the winter season. Two extermination companies sprayed behind the drywall placed pesticide in the attic area and laid traps, but were unable to eradicate the spiders. The Tross filed a claim with their insurance company and took up a lawsuit against the vendors who had sold the property to them, without disclosing the spider problem. The previous owners stated that they never saw any spiders, and their lawyer insinuated that the Tross had unbeknowingly brought the spiders into the home themselves. Nevertheless, the civil trial jury voted in the Tross' favor and the couple were awarded over $470,000 in compensation. But the former owners claimed bankruptcy, so none of the money was ever paid. The insurance company refused to pay, stating that the spiders had not caused any physical damage within the home. So, fearing for the safety of their four children, the Tross felt that they had no other option other than to leave what was once their dream home. They left their furniture outside in freezing temperatures before the move in the hope that that would kill any spiders that were hiding in there. The house went into foreclosure in 2014 after being left empty for two years, 
and the mortgage company employed a pest control firm to deal with the problem. The house was covered in nine tarpaulins, which measured over 15,000 square feet, before being filled with a poisonous sulfury chloride gas. This gas was able to permeate the walls and kill both the spiders and their eggs. Apparently, the earlier attempts to eradicate the swarm did not work because pesticides do not kill spiders, as their feet are unable to absorb substances. Arachnid experts have no idea why the spiders chose to infest that particular house without invading any others in the area. The Trost neighbours reported that they had never had any problems with spiders in their homes, although bugs can be unknowingly carried into the home from other places, such as in furniture bought at auction or brought from storage. Any items of furniture that are introduced in that way should be thoroughly checked first. But can you just imagine sharing your home with up to 6,000 spiders? Pedro Alonso Lopez Pedro Alonso Lopez shared a familiar trait, common to a lot of serial killers. He had a horrific childhood. He was born in 1948 in Santa Isabel, Colombia, and was a middle child of 13. His father, Madara Rees, was a supporter of a right-wing party, and he was killed during the first year of Colombia's 10-year civil war, known as La Violencia. His mother, Benilda, was three months pregnant with Lopez at the time. From an early age, Lopez watched his mother perform sex acts for money, and often witnessed her being assaulted by clients. Lopez claimed his mother was also physically abusive. Obviously affected by this trauma, he was caught indecently touching one of his sisters when he was just eight years old, so his mother threw him out to wander the streets. He made his way towards the capital city of Bogota, where he joined the many other street children, or gamies, who searched out food in Bogota's refuse bins. Lopez joined a gang and began smoking a highly addictive form of cocaine, known as basuco. Lopez claims he was abducted and raped by a man during this time. At the age of 10, he was helped by an American family who took him in and were able to get him enrolled in a school for orphans. But at age 12, he was sexually assaulted by a teacher, so he ran away. Now on the streets again, by the age of 18, he was arrested for stealing cars. In prison, he was gang raped, but he hunted each rapist down and killed them, one by one, using an improvised knife known as a shiv. After his release from prison, Lopez traveled to Peru, where he began to lure young girls to remote areas, where he would assault and murder them. By 1978, he had killed at least 100 girls between the ages of 9 and 12. He said, I walked among the market searching for a girl with a certain look on her face, a look of innocence and beauty. She would be a good girl. I followed her for two or three days, waiting for the moment when she was left alone. He was caught trying to kidnap a nine-year-old girl by members of the indigenous Ayacucho community. They submitted him to tribal law and he was sentenced to be buried alive. But a missionary convinced the tribe to turn him over to the Peruvian police. He did not stand trial. Instead, he was deported back to Colombia where he was able to continue his killings. By the late 1970s, Lopez had gone to Ecuador, and by 1980, in the Ambato province, dozens of young girls were missing, and the locals were desperately trying to find out what was happening to them. Lopez later claimed that by this point, he was killing around three girls every week. He said that Ecuadorian girls were more gentle and trusting, more innocent. He was finally caught again when he tried to lure the daughter of Kalina Raman from a busy marketplace, and the stallholders were able to surround and detain him. 
Once in custody, Lopez refused to cooperate. He was tricked by an undercover police officer who posed as an inmate. Lopez confessed to the murders and gave a detailed account of the burial site. Because of this information, police found over 50 bodies and coupled with the confession, Lopez was charged with 110 murders, to which he pleaded guilty. He was assessed by psychiatrists and officially diagnosed as a sociopath. In 1981, he was found guilty of only three of the murders, although he had confessed to over 300 sexual assaults and strangulations. Shockingly, Lopez only received a maximum sentence of 16 years in prison because of Ecuadorian law. Lopez served time at the Garcia Moreno prison in Quito for just 14 years before he was released for good behavior. In 1994, he was once again deported to Colombia. He was declared insane and detained at a psychiatric hospital in Bogota. After being declared sane in 1998, he was released under conditional bail of just $50. Lopez, known as the Monster of the Andes, absconded and at present, his whereabouts are unknown. A Guinness World Record listing that declared him the world's most prolific serial killer has since been removed, as it was declared that the entry was making a competition out of a murderer. Pedro Alonso Lopez, a man who killed over a hundred people, if still alive, is walking the streets to this day. So that is five disturbing real-life horror stories. We'd like to send out our deepest sympathies to all of the family and friends of any of the victims mentioned in this video. Thanks for watching and we'll see you in the next video.